0: Hey, welcome to Come Follow Me With Free, Episode 21, What Am I Even Doing? So, I had a super hard time this week because there is so much content in these chapters. And it's not like, it's way, way, way harder than the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon generally, if there was a lot of content, it was a lot of story and I could pick out themes and Decide to focus on certain ones, and some were some weeks were harder than others, but this, there is so much content, and it's about so many still related but different topics. And so I was just researching and researching and learning, and it was just hard to to narrow it down, which is why I'm a day late. But I did it, and I feel really good about it. And also, I had an amazing time figuring all of this out and thinking about it. And I spent a good amount of time talking to my mom and my sister on Marco Polo and just hashing out my thoughts, not even about what we're talking about today, but it would lead me to other areas that I'm not going to talk about today. And it was just cool to be immersed enough in the scriptures and in what I'm studying to have that kind of leak into my everyday conversations. And I have another friend where we would go on walks and we would just talk about the gospel. And it was so interesting and so cool to feel my testimony grow. So the scriptures we're asked to cover this week are Joseph Smith History, Chapter 1, 27 through 65, and Doctrine and Covenants, Chapter 2 which is super short. So I'm also going to talk about Doctrine and Covenants 1 since we skipped that week when I was taking my Christmas break. And I feel like that one, Doctrine and Covenants 1, goes really well with what we're talking about in Joseph Smith history, so it all works out. We resume our story about the beginnings of our Prophet Joseph and his journey with the church. He's told people about the vision, and for the most part, He is met with mocking and attacks from leaders of churches and people. But despite all the mocking and the anger stirred up against him, he still couldn't deny it because he knew he had seen a vision of God and he knew that God knew he had seen a vision and he could not deny it. He continues to make a living for and with his family and he describes how he was persecuted by people who should have been his friend, that if they truly desired to reclaim him, And help him, they would have treated him better and been his friends, since apparently they believed he was deceived. He talks about falling into temptations. And he clarifies that they're not super bad ones as he explains that things that severe were never in his nature. But he says that he was guilty of the sin of levity. Do you know what levity is? I sort of did, but I had to look it up. It is humor or frivolity, especially the treatment of a serious matter with humor or in a manner lacking due respect. And it says he was associated with jovial company. So it sounds like Joseph was a pretty fun teenager and liked to laugh with his friends. But he says that the way he was acting was not consistent with the character, which ought to be maintained by one called of God. I can relate to the sin of levity and I think that we all can in one way or another, maybe not quite in the same way that Joseph describes it, but we all kind of have our different ways that we can relate to the sin of levity. For me, I have found in my life that sometimes I've heard myself talking or others talking about the gospel in a way that if you were listening to it from the outside, might think you might think that that we or I don't actually take all of this seriously as reality that yes it's a nice thing to base our lives on but it's not truly literally real or allowing myself to make excuses for choices i'm making so that others won't think that i'm too serious or too extreme For example, I find myself much less dedicated when I'm on vacation with extended family because that involves a whole lot of people and everyone has a different point of view of what they want to do and what they don't want to do. Um, And I don't want to be the lame one that won't watch a certain type of movie on Sunday or request that we spend more time as a family throughout the week studying scriptures. and, And I don't want to hear everybody grumble that I want to do that or i've also found myself in life hesitating to have really serious conversations about the gospel with people because i get the feeling sometimes that people don't want to talk about it so seriously or the reality of events to come and i don't want to look silly i think we all have have felt that way where we hesitate to treat the gospel so seriously and so intensely because we don't want to look too intense. And I'm not saying this saying that we shouldn't be fun and we can't ever be lighthearted, but I think hopefully you kind of get my drift. And on the flip side, we can also ask ourselves the question when we are viewing others and others are the ones being really serious about the gospel and being really dedicated in their discipleship. and I know that I have had the thought that that person is being too intense or whatever. And I definitely try and push that thought out because I know that that's a pretty judgmental thought, but still throughout my life, I've found myself like if someone is offended by something in a movie or whatever, and they want to stop watching it and you're not really quite there, you're like, come on, let's just, you know, Get past that part and we'll be fine. So not saying that everyone's judgment needs to be perfectly in sync all the time, but I never want to find myself thinking that about someone else being in tune to the spirit and doing what they believe is right. So when I think those thoughts about people, I should ask myself, do I believe in the reality of? and seriousness of why we are here and who sent us. When I imagine some of the events that we read about in the scriptures, or I imagine especially the second coming of the Lord, is it an abstract event that could happen, but you can't actually embrace that you in reality could live to see it? Or that we read about miracles that Jesus performed while on earth. And yes, we believe that those happen. But do we literally, can we imagine and believe that those things really happened in reality? And when we believe that those things really can or did happen and actually imagine them as reality, as something that could have happened right in front of our eyes or might still happen right in front of our eyes, It starts to seem less silly to take it so seriously and to be so strict with ourselves about what kind of disciple we want to be. And as we embrace that reality and we take seriously the things that we've been asked to do, that is, I think, one way that we will be spiritually prepared to recognize the signs that He is coming. Because I think sometimes when we when we aren't taking things seriously and when we aren't embracing the fact that this, the gospel, the plan of salvation, all of the things that we are told really actually will happen, I think that we can kind of bury our heads in the sand and think that things we might see don't mean what they actually mean. And I'm not saying that I know exactly what everything means or exactly what signs are or are not being fulfilled. But I think that as we embrace all of these things as a reality, that will help us see things for what they truly are. So let's be serious because we, just like Joseph, are called of God. Now we're not called to be a prophet, but we are called to be here to do important things. President Nelson told us, We live in the day that our forefathers have awaited with anxious expectation. We have front row seats to witness live what the prophet Nephi saw only in a vision, that the power of the Lamb of God would descend upon the covenant people of the Lord who were scattered upon the face of the earth and were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. You, my brothers and sisters, are among those men, women, and children whom Nephi saw. Think of that. We are called of God. And just like Nephi saw, we are armed with righteousness and the power of God. Nephi saw it. It is real. And everything that we are told will happen. We don't know exactly when, but let's not be guilty of levity. Let's not be guilty of not treating it as a reality and treating it, our responsibility as serious. And let's not be embarrassed to be serious about it. Now, don't hear me say that I think we can't have fun, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Let's treat our duty and our calling with the respect and follow through it deserves. And I don't always do it. I'm As I'm saying this, I'm saying what I believe, what my intention is. And I think that we can all talk about these things and say these kinds of things that we believe it should be treated seriously and that we believe that we should follow through and treat it as a reality. And we can say all of those things and take it seriously and say what we believe we should be doing and still follow through imperfectly. That is how it's supposed to be. And as long as our intentions, as long as as we say those things, we really believe we should be doing it and we follow through in trying to do those things, that is not hypocrisy. Joseph said, I often felt condemned for my weakness and imperfections. And although he felt that way about himself sometimes, this was also said about the prophet, the same prophet that felt condemned by his weaknesses and imperfections. John Taylor said, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. Even though we feel condemned by our weaknesses and imperfections, and I know I often do, and I often mess up, and my actions don't live up to my intentions. Even though we have all felt that, we are still, just like the Prophet Joseph, we are still called to do great things despite our weaknesses. In the book A Watchman on the Tower by Boyd K. Packer, he told a sweet story about Spencer W. Kimball. It says, Soon after President Spencer W. Kimball had moved into the office of President of the Church, Elder Boyd K. Packer went to him to get his approval for an article that he had been asked to write. He found President Kimball seated at his desk, weeping. Concerned, he asked, President Kimball, what's the matter? I am such a little man for such a big responsibility, was the quiet response. We have many examples From incredible prophets, here we have Joseph, and now we have President Kimball. We have Nephi and many others of prophets who felt inadequate. So if they can feel inadequate, for sure we will sometimes. But we are called to be brave and faith-filled, trusting that the Savior can make up for those weaknesses and imperfections if we let Him. We are called to love those around us, even the people who are unkind to us, even those who are and will persecute us. I know that all of us in the United States are seeing it. Friends turning on friends, neighbors on neighbors, family on family, speaking to them in a way that previously they never would have done. And especially when it's done online and not face to face. We know from scripture that this is just going to get worse. So our job as a part, hopefully, of Zion is to not let that happen to us. Boyd K. Packer said in his book, Mine Aaron from the Lord, he says, We live in troubled times, very troubled times. We hope, we pray for better days, but that is not to be. The prophecies tell us that. We will not as a people, as families, or as individuals be exempt from the trials to come. No one will be spared the trials common to home and family, work, disappointment, grief, health, aging, and ultimately death. What then shall we do? The question was asked of one of the twelve on the day of Pentecost. Peter answered, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. We need not live in fear of the future. We have every reason to rejoice and little reason to fear. If we follow the promptings of the Spirit, we will be safe. Whatever the future holds, we will be shown what to do. It is a prophetic fact that our world conditions are not going to get better. And because of that, we must show up and do what we have been called to do. And that is to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5, 44, it says, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Heavenly Father sees your potential. He sent you here for right now, this time. And if you rely on him, he will use you to further his plans in ways that none of us can even comprehend. So let's keep asking ourselves over and over and over if my mind... My heart, my words, my actions aren't helping to strengthen and build Zion. Even if they feel justified, what am I even doing? Okay, wow, I haven't even gotten into Joseph's visions yet. So as he is praying in his bed, asking God for forgiveness for his weaknesses, he realizes that there is a light in his room that keeps getting brighter and brighter until it was lighter than he says midday. A person appeared standing in the air. He had on a loose white robe, whiter than any of us can imagine. He described this person as glorious beyond all description. Joseph was afraid for a moment, and then the person introduced himself as Moroni. He tells and shows Joseph in a vision where the plates are and the Urim and Thummim are hidden, He then begins to quote scriptures that talk a whole lot about the time leading up to the second coming and the second coming itself, which is super relevant to us because our prophet has told us that we have front row seats to this time. After he quotes the scriptures, the light gathers around Moroni and he ascends to heaven. And he appears that night three times, repeating the same message. And after the last time, Joseph realizes that the, or not the last time, sorry, after the third time, Joseph realizes that the whole night has passed. And then Moroni appears one more time in the field to him after his father has told him to go home because his father can tell that something is up and he's not functioning fully or something like that. So this same message is repeated four times. Now, we know that the Lord repeats things that he thinks are important for us. So let's talk about some of the scriptures that he deemed important enough to repeat four times. He quoted some from Malachi, and the scripture that I zeroed in on was the one that Joseph describes as one that varied from what we have in the King James Version of the Bible. It's chapter 4, verse 6. In Malachi itself, So the King James Version, it reads, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. But the way that Moroni quoted it was, And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Which, That scripture right there is basically the entirety of Doctrine and Covenants 2, except for the first verse, which tells Joseph that the priesthood will be restored, which gives us the sealing power to connect families. It is so cool to me to think about how this is happening and how I think we're all feeling the spirit of Elijah, our hearts turning to our ancestors, and aside from our ancestors, who are the fathers? Elder Bednar said, As you respond in faith to this invitation, your heart shall be turned to the fathers. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be implanted in your hearts. And what's the challenge President Nelson issued to us in our last conference? He says, As you study your scriptures during the next six months, I encourage you to make a list of all the Lord the Lord has promised He will do for covenant Israel. I think you will be astounded. Ponder these promises. Talk about them with your family and friends. Then live and watch for these promises to be fulfilled in your own life. We are being led and encouraged by our prophet to turn our hearts to the blessings of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the blessings of being a part of the house of Israel. Next, Moroni quotes the 11th chapter in Isaiah. So. To help me out with Isaiah, I use David J. Ridge's book, Understanding Isaiah, which I highly recommend. Chapter 11 talks about powerful leadership that will arise in the last days. It talks about qualities the Savior has as the last days unfold. It talks what it will about what it will be like in the millennium. It talks about the root of Jesse, which is thought to be Joseph Smith, and that he shall stand as an enzyme, which means a rallying point for gathering. It talks about things that will happen leading up to the Savior's coming. And we can see so many of these things happening. So I want to talk really quick about one cool thing that caught my eye that was in verse 15 in chapter 11. And I'm going to read from um, David J. Ridge's book, Understanding Isaiah. It says, And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. So the interpretation that he points out here is perhaps meaning that the productivity of the Nile River will be ruined. See Isaiah 19, 5 through 10. And with his mighty wind, shall he shake his hand over the river? And then he says, perhaps this the river referred to in Revelation 16, 12, symbolically the Euphrates River, representing preparation for the Battle of Armageddon. And shall smite it in the seven seven streams and make men go over dryshod. So I'm not going to pretend that I fully understand the verse that I just read. But because he points out that the two rivers possibly being spoken about are the Nile River and the Euphrates River. And that their productivity will be affected as a sign of the last days. So I looked up conditions of the Nile River and the Euphrates River right now. And this is what I found. So Ethiopia is currently in process of working out a deal for filling a reservoir after completing a controversial dam on the blue Nile River that has been being built for nearly 10 years. And Ethiopia has said that they will fill the dam with or without a deal from Egypt or Sudan and Egypt or Sudan and Sudan fear that it could have huge effects on their water supplies. The Nile is their primary water supply, from what I understand. The situation is very complicated, and if you're interested, you should go read about it. In addition, there are also things happening with the Nile involving the sea level and the, and the decrease in the size of the delta because of that, and then infiltration of salt water because of the sea level rising. And then the Euphrates River has similar issues because of dams built by dams built by Turkey to provide electricity which threatens the water supply of Iraq rainfall in the region region was also reduced by about 50% last year the UN international organization for migration found that the water levels of the tigris and euphrates are decreasing at an unprecedented rate now clearly i'm reading all of that for one <laughs> because i don't it's not my area of expertise Um, clearly I'm not an expert at this, nor do I understand all the complexity, complexities surrounding it and the implications, but this is all just interesting. It's just interesting to hear that the Euphrates river and the Nile river are having problems with their productivity when we see that as a, um, sign of the times. And I think, I think it's important that we know the signs of the times and that we, to the best of our abilities, try and notice when things are happening. So next, Moroni quoted Acts 3, through 23, which prophesies of Christ's mortal coming. And then he quoted Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to the end. And this part gave me chills. It's talking about us and our day, what is happening now and what will be happening. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will shew wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come." And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. What an incredible time to be alive. We are told in our time the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and upon his servants and handmaids he will pour out his spirit. What is the definition of pour? Flow rapidly in a steady stream. He is with us, pouring out his spirit, steadily and always. And I want to go back to two verses before the 28, which Moroni did not quote, so 26 and 27. Listen to this. He says, And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. So I assume that means that we will have the gospel to feast upon and feast upon the scriptures and the words of the prophets. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that he hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. He has dealt wondrously with us, and we should never be ashamed. He is in the midst of us. I can feel him. Can you? We need to be continually asking ourselves if we are doing what we are supposed to be doing so we can be worthy of being the people who are worthy of the blessings in these scriptures. Next, Joseph is told that the time to obtain the plates was not yet, but that when he did, he should not show them to anyone unless he was commanded. So after having the fourth vision in the field, he was instructed to go to the place where the plates were deposited, and he pried up the rock and recognized and saw the plates and the Urim and Thummim, and he went to reach for them but was forbidden from touching them. Because like we just talked about, the time for obtaining them was not yet. Think of what a moment that must have been. He's seen visions. He's seen God the Father and Jesus Christ. He's seen Moroni. And now he has seen the physical thing hidden in these rocks that is further proof that what is happening to him is real. And maybe I'm kind of thinking naively because I'm sure those visions felt and are very real. So maybe he didn't need any further proof, but I'm, I just feel like it's kind of like when we get further, a further witness to our testimony and further light and knowledge, it's just a One more confirmation that we're on the right path, that we're doing the right thing, that what we believe is true. And so I imagine seeing those plates in the Urim and Thummim must have been just an added confirmation that he was on the right path and doing the right thing. All right, I'm going to stop here with Joseph Smith's history, but make sure you go and read the rest from this week. It talks about his journey with the plates and marrying his wife and all that good stuff. So let's move on to DNC chapter one. First, I want to give you a little bit of context for how this was written and why it was written and kind of the events surrounding it. And I'm getting this information from the saints book that the church put out. Ezra Booth had recently published a letter in a local newspaper accusing Joseph of making false prophecies and hiding his revelations from the public. And lots of people read the letter and people were really concerned about it. But also, the saints wanted to read the word of the Lord for themselves, and the missionaries wanted to be able to take it. And so, knowing all of this, Joseph wanted to publish a book of revelations. He knew it would help the missionaries, and he knew that it would provide correct information about the church. And so, they came together in a council and talked about what they were worried about and different concerns. Different people had different thoughts about if it should be published. They were worried that it would cause more problems with them in Jackson County when people understood more what the church believed about Jackson County. And I'm going to quote it here. After more debate, the council agreed to publish 10,000 copies of the Revelations as the Book of Commandments. They assigned Sidney, Oliver, and William McClellan to write a preface to the book of Revelations and to present it to them later that day. The three men began writing immediately, but when they returned with a preface, the council was unhappy with it. They read it over, picking it apart line by line, asking Joseph to seek the Lord's will on it. Joseph prayed, and the Lord revealed a new preface for the book. Sydney recorded his words as Joseph spoke them. In the new preface, the Lord commanded all people to hearken to his voice. He declared that he had given Joseph these commandments to help his children increase their faith, trust in him, and receive and proclaim the fullness of his gospel and everlasting covenant. He also addressed the fears like those of those like David who worried about the content of the revelations what i the lord have spoken i have spoken and i excuse not myself he declared and though the heavens and earth shall pass away my world my word shall not pass away but shall be fulfilled whether my whether by mine own voice or the voice of my servants it is the same after joseph spoke the words of the preface several members of the council said that they were willing to testify of the truth of the revelations others in the room were still reluctant to publish the revelations in their current form They knew Joseph was a prophet, and they knew the revelations were true, but they were embarrassed that the word of the Lord had come through them, filtered through Joseph's limited vocabulary and weak grammar. The Lord did not share their concern. In his preface, he had testified that the revelations came from him, given to his servants, in their weakness, after the manner of their language. To help the men know the revelations came from him, he issued a new revelation, challenging the council to select the wisest man in the room to write a revelation like the ones Joseph had received. If a man selected from the task was unable to do it, everyone in the room would know and be responsible to testify that the Lord's revelations to Joseph were true, despite the imperfections. Taking up a pen, William tried to write a revelation, confident in his mastery of language. When he finished, though, he and the other men in the room knew what he had written had not come from the Lord, they admitted their error and signed a statement testifying that the revelations had been given to the prophet by the inspiration of God. In council, they resolved that Joseph should review the revelations and correct those errors or mistake which he may discover by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a cool story? I loved it. President Ezra Taft Benson tells us the Doctrine and Covenants is the only book in the world that has a preface written by the Lord himself. Now let's talk about the Lord's preface. The very first word in the preface is hearken, meaning pay close attention to and heed. That gives us an idea of what kind of attention the Lord expects from us. And hearken isn't just listening. It's listening and then following through in action. I love verse two. It says, For verily the voice of the Lord is unto all men, and there is none to escape, and there is no eye that shall not see, neither ear that shall not hear, neither heart that shall not be penetrated. It reminds me that there is no one that the voice of the Lord will not eventually reach. He knows every single soul. He knows their exact amount of knowledge and accountability. He knows where their spiritual progression is, and every person will be given their own fair chance. We can look at that verse and feel like it's scary, like no one, no man can escape. That sounds a little scary. Or we can look at it as so, so hopeful. He will reach every single heart. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. And he has a plan for every single one. There is so much power and authority in this whole chapter. We already read this verse in the story that I just told, but I want to read it again. In verse 38, What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth shall pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. So since we know that our prophet speaking to us is the same as the Lord speaking to us? Are we listening to the prophet and doing what the Lord asks? Really internalizing and doing. Are we treating the prophet's voice as the voice of the Lord? Let's review some of the things that the Lord has told us recently through his living prophet. This is all President Nelson recently. Now, as president of the church, I plead with you who have distanced yourself from the church and with you who have not yet really sought to know that the Savior's church has been restored. Do the spiritual work to find out for yourselves, and please do it now. Time is running out. And next, another quote. I pray that we as a people are using this unique time to grow spiritually. We are here on earth to be tested, to see if we will choose to follow Jesus Christ, to repent regularly, to learn and to progress our spirits long to progress and we do that best by staying firmly on the covenant path he also said i am not saying the days ahead will be easy but i promise you that the future will be glorious for those who are prepared and who continue to prepare to be instruments in the lord's hand." my dear sisters let us not just endure this current season let us embrace the future with faith turbulent times are opportunities for us to thrive spiritually They are times when our influence can be much more penetrating than in calmer times. We were made for this. We are called for this. The Lord is speaking to us through our prophet, just as he spoke through Joseph in the times of the early saints. Our current prophet is speaking to us. And I hope that we are listening to the voice of the Lord and heeding his call. Starting in verse 20, he gives us, Reasons The Lord gives us reasons that he is giving these commandments and revelations to Joseph Smith. So as we start the Doctrine and Covenants, these are also reasons that we can apply to ourselves. And I have this book called Scripture Study for Latter-day Saint Families, The Doctrine and Covenants by Deni- Dennis H. Leavitt and Richard O. Oh, I have a sticker on top of it. Richard O. Christensen. They give the suggestion That starting in verse, I'm going to read from verse 20, but starting in verse 25, I'm going to replace they with I, because starting in verse 25, it's a great way to look at the doctrine and covenants and things that we can get out of it and what the Lord, what the Lord intends us to get out of it. So I'm going to start in verse 20, but that every man might speak in the name of God the Lord, even the Savior of the world, that faith might also increase in the earth. That's what the Doctrine and Covenants can do for us. That mine everlasting covenant might be established, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple unto the ends of the world before kings and rulers. Behold, I am God and have spoken it. These commandments are of me and were given unto my servants in their weakness after the manner of their language that they might come to an understanding." Now, here's where I'm going to start saying I. This is what I can get out of the Doctrine and Covenants. This is what the Lord intended for me. And inasmuch as I erred, it might be made known. And inasmuch as I sought wisdom, I might be instructed. And inasmuch as I sinned, I might be chastened, that I might repent. And inasmuch as I were humble, I might be made strong and blessed from on high and receive knowledge from time to time. What awesome reasons to carefully read the doctrine and covenants. I am so excited to dive in deeper and understand better all of the things in the doctrine and covenants. And if you have any thoughts throughout the week, I want to hear them because I'm just a, I'm just a student here. And I am so excited for the Lord to do all of these things for me to let me know when I'm making mistakes to, as I'm seeking wisdom, that I might be instructed, that as I read and I'm humble, that I might be made strong and blessed from the Lord and that I can receive knowledge. I mean, what better promises could we possibly ask for, especially during this time? I believe in the Come, Follow Me program. I believe in the timing of the Come, Follow Me program. The Doctrine and Covenants is so applicable to what is happening in the world right now and what is happening to us as we experience it. We were made for this. We were called for this. And we have been given instruction of the Lord. The Doctrine and Covenants teaches us what we need to be doing to help build Zion, which is our divine mandate from God As President Nelson tells us, it is our divine mandate from God to aid in the gathering of Israel and the building up of the kingdom of the Lord here on the earth. I want to end with something I said earlier in the podcast. If my heart, my mind, my words and actions aren't helping to strengthen and build Zion, even if they feel justified, what am I even doing? And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.